Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In this episode, redefining codependence in a way where none of us is off the hook, how you cannot wash a brain, how the mind is our first protection mechanism, a prediction for how our society dead ends with artificial intelligence from yours truly, and of course, many other psycho-spiritual and philosophical rabbit holes to boot. I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and in order. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome forward, everybody. I'm Joseph. At least that's what people call me. It doesn't really mean anything. Uh, and here with me is, of course, Stace Barron. And we are continuing our series on relationality. Today, the juicy topic of codependence. Where, do, where should we start, Stace? Well, maybe you start with the fact that um, it was, codependence was a really hot term in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. But since the, since the turn of the century now, well, 23 years, it's it's faded away I, in 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 a lot of the domains that I, I I investigate or come across my the desk of my mind and my my computer, um, the term codependence is not used much in a lot of psycho spiritual or psychological um, pieces and 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 verbi- verbiage. Narcissism is very popular and yes, toxic relationships. That's very popular. But yes. yeah, I guess we don't hear codependence so much. It's aged a bit. I think so. And, and yet it's such a, a, a pivotal term because of its default status uh, um, in the way that identity sees things. So that's why we're going to start with it and, and sort of enli- re-enliven it uh, mm-hmm. and how ap- applicable it is to headline uh, the uh, toxicities of human relational space. Well, I think the, okay? the problem with it it, the way it's generally understood is um, it's it's sort of codependence and caretaking became sort of synonymous. And there's lots of forms of codependence, but the right. main way people hold it is it's caretaking behaviors. And that's what how they identify as codependence. But that's just, of course, one form of it. Yes. And maybe because um, we, as a society, we've become um, so less so much less caring than we used to be. <laughs> Codependence has been less identified because everybody everybody's become hardened somewhat. Well, again, but you know, it's two sides of that. There's another side of that coin is the is the PC stuff with uh, pronouns. Oh, uh, we care so much toxically on the other side. We don't want where no one can be offended anymore. Yes. You see, mm-hmm. so you got both ends. Uh, we we've coarsened and we've um, globulated, uh, <laughs> um, and both in both in, in on either sides of the uh, of the center. Mm-hmm. So of course, uh, um, I love what you said there because identity defines codependence completely differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, for identity, codependence is the projection of unmet and unhealed emotive-based needs of childhood onto all forms of adult relationality with self and other. It's the, it's the projection of unmet needs um, onto adult, adult relational space with self and other. And this is, this changes the, this is a sea change because mm. what it, what it says is, and that of course is based on the fact that we're, none of us got 
to two-thirds degree in Identity's opinion. Um, we didn't get the bandwidths of love that we needed as children, which we've talked about already a bit in this series. Well, wait a minute, hold on. You just said something. This is my. I have this little alarm that goes off anytime I hear you say something that I've never heard you say before, because okay. I've heard you speak for hundreds, if not thousands, of hours, and I've read just yeah. about everything you've written three times. So <laughs> I never heard you say that we didn't get our emotional needs yet as childhood as children with a number on it. You just put two thirds on it before. Yes. Uh, I, I never heard you say that before. So two thirds, that's the degree to that's why our unconscious runs our life to the tune of two thirds, because two thirds. Yes. I've never heard you say that before. Is that new? Oh, OK. Well, good. I'm glad uh, <laughs> that may have been a new word formulation. But the whole point of the two thirds is we're two thirds emotively inauthentic because we had to protect against the pain of not receiving two thirds of which uh, never made it to our souls. In other mm -hmm. words, even with even with horrible parenting, which might get upwards of 70% um, of abusive and neglect, really bad versions, um, we still can't stop, stop some form of soulful love reaching us and nourishing us to one third. Uh, it's too authentic to be completely covered over. Mm -hmm. But every time over the years where I've sort of always in doubt, I always reassess everything moment to moment in identity uh, as if, OK, has this shape evolved now? Could this could this whole principle not be applicable after all or something? I'm always doing that. Two thirds of, uh, of our um, unconscious, uh, two thirds of our being is wounded and protected, which means two thirds of our unconscious is um is, uh, is the amount that we it runs our conscious. Uh, Two-thirds can't land, so two-thirds has to get hidden. Therefore, two-thirds right. ends up running our life from behind the scenes. For functional people. Yeah. Those who are disempowered by their wounds, that the protector uh, version of us couldn't cover over, like a tarp that was too small for the baseball field, right? Oh, wow. Um, if it can't, if it couldn't do that, uh, people who are institutionalized that don't suffer from organic uh, uh, um, challenges to uh, brain and and, and uh, consciousness, uh, uh, the, they have a smaller tarp uh, that won't cover all the woundings, and so they it undermines their functionality in life. And yet, and yet, as I think we've said before it's in other um, contexts, people who exhibit such untarped over non-protected emotive states are technically healthier than people who are successful in coping and covering them yeah successful versus unsuccessful control exactly about. right exactly right unsuccessful control and in that sense i've only heard one other woman psychologist way back in the 90s i came across her where she said identically the same thing uh, almost word for word but not coming from an emotional primacy Based paradigm, mm -hmm. but she she was at was um, supporting how we pathologize and and societally shun like a caste system, people who are not functional, when they may be exhibiting a healthier version of vulnerable emotivity than we are. Which just proves the point, right? Because uh, if yes. you have um, two thirds of society, perhaps yes. with functional control, are going yes. to shame and judge all the other people. Uh, yes. as being less functional rather than seeing that actually there's they have more in common than they have uh, different. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, the the insane, you know, quote, insane exists to uh, help us see our, our own insanity underneath our control is how I've often 
felt it. And the same way every uh, bully out there exists to show us our own lack of self-authority so that we have yeah. to stand up to them or a narcissist, for example. Exactly. And, you know, it's just another way of saying what uh, J. Krishnamurti uh, said in, from his own paradigmatic assumptions that it's no measure of uh, self-health uh, to participate in a profoundly sick society. Mm -hmm. That's not exactly what he said, but... It's no measure him, of health to be well-adjusted to a sick well society. Well-adjusted, yeah. right. And so he was talking about dualistically um, sick, uh, yeah. overburdened and dualisms. Here we're talking about emotional, uh, unhealed emotional woundings make us sick. Mm -hmm. So the same words, which is really another interesting thing I'm, I'm always fascinated by, where the exact same words could be used to describe completely different assumptions yeah. that resulted in the adage or the axiom. Yeah. I've been re-watching, side note here, uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Oh, Have you seen that? No, but I've got it on my oh, list to watch. It's so incredible. I'm watching it a second time. And of course, you know, he's one of the greatest basketball players, perhaps the best athlete of professional athlete of all time. And you get to really know his uh, unhealthy motives for being as great as he is, similar to Tiger Woods, um, yes. where like, you know, he's compulsively competitive and mm -hmm. actually admits somebody accuses him of having a gambling problem. He's like, no, I don't have a gambling problem. I can stop. I don't lose that much money. I do have a competitiveness problem. He actually says that. <laughs> he says it out loud. You know. Well, well yeah, but the, that, that falls in the category to me of, uh, uh, wait a minute, uh, I have a competitive uh, addiction or whatever you said there uh, right now. It's like when you are in a job interview, well, what, tell me one of your flaws, you know? Oh, well, you know, I work too hard yeah. or I care too much, you know, yeah. a little tongue in cheek. If he had tongue in cheek in there, I could respect it, but I doubt that he did. But yeah, but yeah, and he's, he, it's completely clear and even speaks to what motivates him is when he's personally slighted or someone, you know, asserts themselves as better than, or, you know, beats him, or even just someone says something offhanded, like he looks for fuel in the source of somebody thinking they're better than he is so he has something to surmount and oh, and you can see it in the documentary toward the end like you can see the 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 successful failure of that strategy you can see the misery in his eyes of like yeah, he became right. the greatest and it hasn't satisfied him on some level it's no, tragic yeah, isn't that the case? The same thing with billionaires, you know, yeah. um, they amass all this fortune and there's a big hole in the center. Yeah. And the hole is the same in both billionaires that we and, and Michael. Uh, and he is a billionaire. Know, he's worth yeah, a billion and a half. He's both. Um, <laughs> is that uh, people who are secure are not are not uh, competitive uh, in any sort of muscular way. Mm -hmm. Of course, they want to strive. It's between them and life, secure people, not between them and other. Mm. Uh, that's why I like gym gymnasts because they 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 don't share a mat or a soccer field or a football field, and it's us against them team time. It's solo stuff where they're they're battling uh, centrifugal force and gravity. Uh, yeah. That's all. It's between them and life. Uh, same thing with swimmers. Um, they yeah, don't. They swimmer. can't really. Yeah, yeah so it's against the clock, not the other person. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So team sports tend to be um, collectivistic, and collectivistic collectivism creates um, a, 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 a fomenting kind of competition. So only yeah. insecure people overcompensate with overcompetitiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the hole that 
that it can't the drug of of winning or the drug of being of being wealthy can't fill mm. they can't fill it same principle there so when we rebase everything on that, that we're by default codependent because by default we're starving for um, uh, emoto spiritual bandwidths of love that our parents were innocently in many ways incapable of providing to us. Uh, there's a new reality show on um, a competitive, they have five different kinds of parenting styles and they're all fighting for which one serves children's best. What? And they're all behavior based oh no i don't think styled. i can bear to watch it oh uh, joseph I, I i i rose out of my chair um i don't have any hair to lose anymore over <laughs> stuff like this but i rose out of my chair and i i, I wanted to rip my skin off because they were going to award they were going to look at the results with the kids not factoring in different kinds of kids in the way they receive certain behaviors one was going to win and it was five different categories of parenting styles. And of course, EBE or identity steps in and says, it's not what you do, it's who you are and what you are as parents that kids need, not what you do. And you they're gonna behave your way. And they're gonna measure success based on um, the children being good little children and making their yes. beds and cleaning their rooms and doing their homework. Doing well in school and being popular and all all the ah. all all the things I just wanted to rip my jaw off and throw Ugh. my jaw at them because I couldn't Ugh. get through to them with my words, you know. Uh, so this is the kind of appalling um, reactivity that Edenists have occasionally when they encounter the mass consciousness world's attempt to um uh, pave over the fact that we're all hurting inside and we, and 99% of the time we don't recognize it out percentage wise in the planet because as soon as we're successful with our coping mechanisms we think we're fine yeah so that's really is, the competition yeah. is who can um oppress the best and which kids can repress the best that's what the competition Ooh. is actually Great. Both ends of the spectrum, repressor and oppress. Yes, Ugh. exactly right. Wow. Anyway, it was so gagful, I had to uh, walk <laughs> out of the room. I, I could not swallow it epistemologically or metaphysically. I couldn't swallow it. And so I had to go out, out another room, and I actually went in the bathroom and used mouthwash. Uh, <laughs> I gargled. Uh, uh, I believe I, it. I, had a, I, I should have taken a hot shower or a cold shower, but I literally it went into me and it just it gagged me. I mean, that so really sounds like is, something from like, uh, you know, a dystopian future movie, like something you'd see in, in Idiocracy or something. That's, yeah, that's like abusive. like the Hunger Games or something. Yeah, right, which, exactly. Which is ironic. Yeah. That, that was fine. It's, it's nice and ironic. This was solid, straight down the middle, serious. This was a competition, a reality show. No and then irony. whoever wins, you know, they're going to become some famous therapist or whatever. And, you know, yeah, they'll then, write a book. Yeah, they'll write a book. And then everybody will try that for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So back to our original track here. Again, yeah. it's beautiful how many rabbit holes we can go down every, <laughs> every second. The point here is, is that if you don't buy into the fact that uh, we're all emoto spiritually malnourished and on top of it, malconditioned, um, malnourished and on top of it malconditioned into shallower waters of um, of uh, fulfillment and and uh, human consciousness domains. The, the code this this codependent uh, this definition of codependence is the projection of all those unmet 
and unhealed uh, 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 wounds from child. It won't make any sense. And so the, spoiler alert, perhaps, um, but I just wanted to add uh, the one and one together from before. I forget what the terms, the elements were, but um, it means that everybody's uh, codependent until uh, earned otherwise. I imagine exactly that's right. And one third of uh, identity's dharma is dedicated to recovering from the wounding caused by that assumptive premise. Uh, so uh, you can like that premise or not, but um, if you've ever hit limits in psychology or in um, couple therapy or in parenting from parenting experts, if you didn't, you didn't really um, get any great benefit out of it, maybe this is why, because their premises are none of them. None of those domains are, are premised on the premise that identity has. Yeah, because if you don't start with the premise that we're all doing relationships codependently, then you won't see the point of adult relationality as outworking that codependence. And exactly. if you don't see that, then you'll be unconsciously working around the codependence yes. to try to make the relationship <laughs> functional rather than healthy, yes. which is what yes, and that's what. Does. Oh, great point. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you. That's you, why they work on the contract. marriage as if yeah, yeah. there's a thing called the marriage or whatever. Yeah, right now out there in in uh, in, in uh, change land, um, uh, codependence is the exception to the rule. Yes. Uh, only if certain elements show up does it prove caretaking or narcissism, you know, yeah. will show up. Uh, and, and a lot, those are just the, for us, those are the Maui or Maui and, uh, and Oahu <laughs> of a mountain chain sticking up. Uh, whereas there's a whole mountain range underneath the water mm -hmm. of, uh, of, of default codependence. You're going to define the kinds of codependence. So now Say again. You're going to define the different kinds: locked in, locked out. Yeah, and, yeah I'm okay. going there next. Okay. So the next, the next piece of the puzzle is um, uh, if it's if the building on the fact that we're all by default uh, wounded from childhood up to two thirds or or more, and that that codependence is the projection of those unhealed wounds from childhood for everybody uh, onto adult relational space. Uh, what are the one quick half step back, what are the wounds that are, we, we get in childhood that are the net result of the lack of being nourished on that? And the and it comes back to parenting. And there's all there's a couple of different simple ways to look at that. The, the wounds get inculcated, uh, uh, um, get imbued into us by parents who counter transfer, counter transference of parents needs onto children. And what they do by default, again, this is an identity's picture by default, uh, parents will either unconsciously, unconsciously counter transfer um, by attaching to children, living off children, living off children, living from children, or living through children. In other words, they'll, they'll over attach to them to um, help make their own unactualized personhood and, 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 and dreams come true. They'll live off of them if the child happens to have more soul largesse than their particular soul species does and their own unhealed uh, parental stuff uh, leaves them bereft. So they wanna feel off the innocent, feed off the innocent vitality of soulfulness in young children. Um, that's living from. Living through is uh, people like uh, the category of tiger tiger parenting, 
where you'll see a lot of this in the Asian community, but not exclusively, of course, yeah. where a tiger, tiger mom in the news, um, you know, they, they, they want to have kids become artistic or financially or professionally successful to project into them their own unactualized success. Well, I want my kids to have all the things I didn't. Isn't yeah, exactly. that reasonable? I want them to um, be what I couldn't be. Sounds good, but what what's the wound underneath that to be curious about, to be curious yeah. about? So parents, parents counter transference, which is really a term only most of the time is only got two other do, two domains. One um, of uh, with a therapist to a client where the parent, the, the therapist to the client or patient um, oversteps boundaries or um, is uh, over supportive of over critical. In other words, gets hooked into the parent or the uh, patients or the clients counter-transference. It's also used sometimes in, in authority uh, structures of what they call cults out there, where the authority of the cultic leader counter-transfers their own needs and then couches it through enlightened uh, back, uh, enlightened lit up uh, activity that uh, is, is not supposed to be criticized like Adi Don, his circle of seven women that were rotating in all the time. Or recently, uh, John DeRoyter, who uh, yes. uh, was recently, I believe, I don't know if he was convicted yet, but he was definitely accused of a well, bunch of yes. counts of sexual Keith, assault. Keith, Keith, and Keith Rainier, even though there was nothing, he, he, he was just an NLPer. The Nexium uh, guy, yeah, it was yeah, NLP with color sashes, basically. <laughs> exactly right. So he didn't even ever invoke even divinity or spirituality yeah. of any. Yeah. So. So um, counter-transference is, is also used there, but identity takes a really courageous step or crazy, depending on. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I've had more stones thrown thrown at me for this next thing I'm going to say than anything else over 40 years, that there there is only one cult, and mm. that is the family. Yeah. Uh, and the family is the one where where the authorities, because they were just as bereft of emoto-spiritual emoto um, uh, food from their parents and their parents all the way back, there's no one to blame. Parents are not to blame for doing these counter-transferential things. They're doing it out of their own woundings and don't even know it. And that's even off the screen of most psychologists and psychiatrists, yeah. because they 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 look at a functional family and would not see what we see when we look at the way the parents justify their counter transferential projections on yeah, the children. The, there's a um, podcast called uh, "A Little Bit Culty" or "Just a Little Bit Culty" that's yes, run by. Did you listen to that? The, by, no, I haven't yet. I heard of it though. To, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. Um, it's the the woman who had the who was branded and. Is it Mark Vicente? Uh -huh. No, I think the, the, the one of the different guys. But it's two of the people who are in the Nexium cult. And I couldn't get through two episodes uh, of it because of the level of victimhood. Yes. And, you know, right. of course, what, quote, happened to these people was terrible. Yeah. But their whole frame is that they were duped, that this happened to them. And it, there's no meta of how did they get themselves into this in the first place. And yes. that's what I wanted to insert here. I wanted to say for, for those of you who've been following along, because this is episode 48, um, the the controversy, controversial statement of there's only one cult and that's the family is explained by one of Identity's first principles, which is, drum roll, did you figure it out yet? Because <laughs> adults are always a choice. So, yeah. so you have to be a child to be a victim. And so, right. um, you know, we, we don't really have a, a word for a... Uh, um, a 
unhealthy organization that your unconscious wounds got you involved in because cult automatically has the victimhood built into it. Exactly right. We and and the, and the main justification by bless their hearts the, their hearts are in the right place but their brains are somewhere way down in their trailing edge um culty programmers um uh yeah. who write off the um inability to not be a choice through brainwashing right the bounded and, and choice identity. stuff yeah yeah culty programmers are almost always enneagram sixes by the way oh boy that yeah oh I, that would make sense yeah. we we replace the term brainwashing with emotively malconditioned Mm. Uh, emotively malconditioned by their families. No one, uh, some two different people could undergo the same kind of abuse at the, like, the let's use the Nexium one, uh, being branded in DOS, uh, which was uh, a Latin DOS, um, I forget, or, or I forget what it's about, what it, the Latin term is, but it's master slave relationship, mm. um, DOS. And so, uh, two people one person could be utterly repelled by that whole notion um and and even so deeply that those girls those women were forced to give Rainier's organization collateral yeah. um bad things about them nude pictures or or horrible things that they had done they they signed those over to him to help him enforce their master slave um, relationship. So yeah. someone who wasn't wounded in that domain, particular domain, would be repelled by it immediately. And only someone who was already emotively malconditioned in their family of origin would go, would buy it. Mm -hmm. So exactly as you just said, Joseph, um, these people who don't see ahead of time and only later see it simply were blinded by their, their family of origin emotive malconditioning. And uh, and the one that one uh, wonderful the wonderful example I could use the name but I don't know how liability laws work here I could use the name on the podcast here but I'm not sure I should but one of the women was raised in a very wealthy family that prioritized yeah. wealth and beauty yeah in fact the mother was a very well known yeah. person yeah and so this child was 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 conditioned into the fact the only thing that gives you worth is money and good looks and now status. that's not what the and status yeah exactly and that's not what the the mother that i that i when i saw in her interviews uh, she's devoted to her daughter she would be horrified that to know that the message behind the way they raised her they thought they were giving her positive attention yeah but instead they were making her feel entitled at the cost of way deep down the child uh, uh, had had real self-worth issues. Yeah. And none of these women could have done that if they had honest self-worth. They couldn't sign on to a master-slave relationship. Yeah. There's this is this goes beyond, I mean, I don't even I don't identity doesn't see any form of BDSM as healthy. It's all toxic. Mm. Uh, even if it's consenting adults, it's still toxic mm. to the souls of the people and they're unaware of that. Um, so in that sense, um, only emotionally malconditioned uh, children grow up to be adults who are drawn to abusive cults. It's it's not rocket science. I'm astounded that the vic adult victimhood is still so the default way of looking yeah. at these kinds of things. And of course, it doesn't so absolve Rainier or the leaders of their contribution. No, it's no, just to see it as a co-contribution. 
That's exactly right. And in fact, identity goes uh, uh, further. Um, we're gonna, we'll probably get to this topic later today, but uh, since all relational spaces co-created, all of it, mm -hmm. even when you're in a quote unquote cult, the leaders have to take 60-40, um, maybe 65-35 responsibility for creating the toxic environment in the first place that takes advantage of emotively malconditioned adults who never healed their, their family of origin wounds. See, yeah. So they have to take more responsibility. The, the ones who are wounded and get abused they have to take responsibility, but it's not 50-50. So there's a generosity in, e in e identity, not for generosity's sake, just the way it feels to me that the leaders are more culpable for what they do because they have power bandwidths that take advantage of follower uh, bandwidths yeah. in, the, in the people who join. Power versus follower. Um, and so they have more responsibility. And there is a sort of implied sale there, like, hey, yes. be a follower. I know something you don't. And if that turns out, you know, there, there's a responsibility that comes with that. Um, exactly right. Even though yeah. caveat emptor also applies. We <laughs> talked about this back in episode 10 or 11 or whatever when we talked about uh, EBU yeah. 1.0. But yeah. to, to recast the whole cult dynamic thing as a form of codependence, that that's uh, we yes. haven't quite done that yet. That that's one form yeah. of it. That's and that's why this this topic rabbit holed for us. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, I just made a verb out of it too. I, rabbit hold us. Uh, we're victims of identity's rabbit holeness, uh, <laughs> where every domain impacts every other domain. It's all interlocking. Yes. Right? So um, yeah, uh, uh, cultic um, groups. Which would our, let's use our terminology, cultic flavored groups take advantage of the issues that happened in the family cult. And, and I just thought of something: if if people saw that all adult relationships, certainly the intimate ones, had codependent dynamics, so it's not a matter of whether or not it's codependent; it's a matter of right. where and how much. Then right. cults would automatically probably be seen the same way. It's like, yes, you know, absolutely. I would say that, you know, I work with businesses I've had for 20 years and they're all cults in one way or another, too. <laughs> you of know, there, there's codependent dynamics all over. That's one of the ways I work with people. So, you know, that's one of the it's like it's not a question of whether or not your organization is emotionally unhealthy. It right. is. Now, yes. let's find how how much <laughs> and where, you know. Right. Because the unit the basic building block of any group is the individual. And mm -hmm. if, ever, if no individual in the history of humankind ever got their emoto soulful needs met uh, in childhood because we were too busy surviving for the last, up to the last two or 300 years on this planet, um, no blame, no blame. Uh, then if all of our individuals, if nobody got that in childhood, any grouping we do, whether it's commercial, whether it's spiritual, whether it's a community, whatever it is, where it's all default, the vibe in the group is downline of the emotive, emotive spiritual maturity of each individual. You know, so, what, just, what just hit me, I don't think I saw this before, that the collectivistic dynamics, there's been this unconscious like safety in numbers thing, like yes, this sort sure. of like, yeah, we all know as individuals we're fucked up, but we'll come together and somehow iron out, you know, my weaknesses will be ironed out by your strengths and we'll come together. Yeah. And that's really oh. what collect that's that's the good intention of collectivism. You know, we're we're stronger together. No, you make yes. a bigger mess together. Exactly <laughs> right. The only emotionally mature group is filled with emotionally mature individuals. It's mm -hmm. just that you're I love how you put that because community 
uh, tends to be um, related to as the whitewash of our <laughs> sins. You know, it whitewashes, yeah. somehow balances everything out when it just makes the, the mess worse. Mm -hmm. So institutionalizes yeah, every, it. Yeah, then you okay. have to form community values around the community dysfunctions, the community compensation, sort of, you know, yes, like community religion is doing. Exactly mm -hmm. right. And, and, and you know, what, what's so sad and sorrow making for me is that now, since the yin phase kicked in at 2012, the yin dynamic of relationality as opposed to selfism, which was the yang gods um, incubator for uh, up to 2015 to make sure we survived as a species, we when we were certain survival. But thrival mode um, requires uh, uh, um, the dropping of the survival based uh, algorithms. And so we've got to find a way to heal at one individual heart at a time, or else we're never going to have healthy groups. Mm -hmm. a, a cult, what they call a cult, is simply a really outwardly uncoverable, bare bones, open for everyone to see who's not damaged in the way that the followers are, damaged innocently um, uh, uh, in that sense. So it's like the the fact that now in the yin age we're supposed to communityize more relate more in community not less while we're still also emotively wounded it's impossible yeah. to yeah, like, live that truth like we're not supposed to think the republican or democratic parties aren't cults they have oh. a lot of the signs you know choosing party loyalty and winning over the truth and covering things up i mean this is like a weekly event and but like you sure. said, the cults are just the most obvious forms of codependence, whereas every organization has it. Right. And, and the leader is just as codependent on the followers as the followers are on the leader. Mm, it's an mm -hmm. unholy alliance off the consciousness screen of both ends 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. well, identity come, goes even a little further and says, look, the word cult is um, technically uh, uh, um, neutral. Uh, uh, if the family is a cult, which the only cult, the real cult there is because kids can't choose out, yeah. uh, that's the only reason, um, then uh, the, it's, the, it's the root. Cult is the root word for culture, for God's sake. Uh, even, at, uh, even though at the soul level, the kids chose the parents, so even in that way, there's no such thing as a cult on one level. But it, it, Almost. Uh, yeah. It's a stretch, but it fits. It yeah. does. It's, it's just within the boundaries of too much stretch, but it's exactly right. That's yeah. another whole interesting topic. Yeah. But the thing is here, so if a cult, if the term cult is applied neutral, then you can say there are some family cults that are better family cults than other family cults, which are worse. Um, and so yeah, because what does I, a family do? They, they, they force their, the parents force their values and acceptable behaviors down the throats of the kids who have absolutely no choice, don't even have the vocabulary to push back, have no power whatsoever. Yeah, that sounds like a cult to me. <laughs> well, it's so it's so obvious that it that everybody just it's so normalized that cultic uh, yeah. dynamic about the family is so normalized and extolled as the solution for yeah. world peace in many ways. You know, while there was the erosion of the families in, in the blue and the red states, you know, it's the erosion of the mm -hmm. of the Ronnie, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan era where mm -hmm. everybody was uh, so sick of World War II and the Korean War that everything had to be conformized, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and all in these re in regular sexual archetypes and uh, relational archetypes. 
So mm. in that sense, it was so normalized in our culture that we don't see that the family is the only really real cult there there was or is. So anything else is cultic in mm -hmm. our terminology, just to keep all the terms in resonance with the premises, which mm -hmm. very few paradigms care to uh, go to that trouble to make sure yeah. every single term is resonant with every single premise so that assumptions and outcomes don't uh, contradict themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, yeah, it's a crazy world about out there about cults. And uh, um, so in, in that sense, when uh, what's going to happen is uh, Keith Raniere, for example, um, he would he lived um, through he probably did a bunch of those. He lived through off of them, fed from them, lived through them uh, and, uh, um, and from uh, from them, Definitely from them, from, yeah. his own uh, deep uh, hole in his own being required that he'd be filled with women who, if they had any inclination to be with any other man than Keith, they were punished horribly, mm -hmm. but Keith could have as many um, uh, uh, lovers as he wanted. Wait, what? Didn't we have feminism the last 50 years? <laughs> the woman can't do something that the man can do. Isn't that, wait, isn't that patriarchy? Wait a second. How yeah. can that not have been on the front of those women in, yeah. in, in Dose? Uh, and they uh, were empowered women. Yeah. Empowered and high IQs. Yeah. But extremely low CQs, which mm -hmm. we call consciousness quotients, mm -hmm. all right? And that, and they were there's no blame them. We're not blaming the victims, quote unquote, in that terminology. Right. That uh, yeah. they were brainwashed, poor dears. You know, we're we're blaming the innocent. Uh, uh, we're not we're not holding parents to blame. We're holding them responsible. Well, and I want to take a, a moment to, if it might be useful, to unpack brainwashing because uh, that that's in my world I call that symbolic language. It's, uh -huh. it's really interesting if you listen for when people use cliches or symbolic <coughs> language or metaphors, like mm -hmm. only when that's the only thing they do. And like, well, well, they were brainwashed. Well, was their brain actually washed? No. OK, well, then what actually happened? Because yeah. you're just mm -hmm. you're not actually saying anything. And then when you go into, well, what actually just it is brainwashing? If yeah. you really look carefully long enough, you end up at in my opinion, what we're talking about. you exactly Well, you're conditioning right. them. Okay, but how are they conditionable in the first place? Because that exactly. conditioning isn't uniformly applicable. It's just like uh, <laughs> with um, tobacco, not yeah. uniformly addictive across the population, right? right. It's only about 50%. So we say, oh, well, the tobacco is addictive. Well, is it? Does everyone mm -hmm. who use it get addicted? No, only about half do. Okay, so why is that? It's mm -hmm. the same thing with what we're talking about here. The the brainwashing is actually conditioning, and it only sticks to people who are conditionable. And then zoom into that, and like, well, how exactly is that? And then suddenly you end up of with, oh, they have a responsibility for that because, as identity says, we're responsible for the contents of our unconscious. Exactly. QED. Yes. Q. Oh, oh, I love that. Yes. QED. Quod right. erat demonstratum. What was to be demonstrated? Yes, and that. That was always patently obvious to me. Uh, I saw through all of that, and I'm not extolling myself here. It's just it's so obvious to me that 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 is the case. You could, and and the, and these terminologies, the symbolic language. I mean, all language is symbolic, but these are yeah. extra one layer more. Shall yeah, we? doubly so. Yeah, doubly so. It, they should be called brain soiled, not brain washed. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been the brain's been dirtied. Um, uh, uh, by by their um, the way it was used 
primarily as a defense, which I want to talk about next, that buttonholes um, right into this. Uh -huh. um, so uh, brainwashing really, let's, let's recast it in the identities picture, bereft of emotional, soulfully sufficient and adequate bandwidths of love, innocently not imparted by parents who didn't get it from their parents, who didn't get it from their parents all the way back to the beginning. Um, what, what happens is the protective contraction that happens in our soul to take care of us, that we wound up being, wind up being two-thirds a version of ourselves, um, uses the will as our first defense and the first object of our willfulness that it uses is the mental body, the mind. What it will do is it will cognitively, it'll use the will, our protective contraction will, will use the will to, to cognitively map reality. It's a cognitive-based map that based on I think, therefore I am also, because we can do it, we will do it. Um, it was a perfect tool handed to the protector to cognitively map reality and then abstract reality with languaging that hides its um, actual function. Uh, we we um, we protect uh, the heart field, which has been so was so bereft and suffering. We get a we lay a cognitive map over it, raise out of our injured four chakra up to the mind, and go. Okay, I feel better now because I just repressed my pain. Uh, functionality in this society is rewarded, and what what's happening is they're rewarding repression and oppression. Of the little um, aspects in us that never that are that are still starving to this day, mm -hmm. so they cognitively map um, reality and then experience reality through the lens of that cognitive map, and so they miss all these obviousnesses that identities feel first feel first um, uh, primacy of consciousness sees through like X rays. Now, what's like the difference right there between the personhood? compensation and the sagehood compensation because there's an existential and a situational version there is that that's the great great question uh -huh. the the um the noun of it is the uh, malconditioning in childhood the, uh -huh. the that's the um um the uh actual causational domain mm -hmm. but the second layer is laid over it uh, by dualisms that dualism itself the cognitive map even healthy people now yeah. we're talking about healthy people distorts reality. Um, it, it 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 blocks out the uh, pre-dual aspect of divinity that's operating every every nanosecond. So mm -hmm. the combination of the later use of being slavery to dualism as a way to perceive and process reality adds right fits right in scope fills into the slot that's already been malconditioned to cognitively map to avoid feeling the pain of our starving so heart oh, soul. And then the third piece, sainthood, that's the yes. the mind is enslaved by will in order to repress emotion because you have to use will to repress emotion because love wouldn't repress. Exactly. Mm. Exactly right. So it's a really complex uh, architecture awesome. here that uh, we're talking about the metaphysical underpinnings of, of the assumptions of relational space architecture in identity. It's really we're like doubling really uh, down to the really uh, raw bones of everything mm -hmm. this way. Um, and so they all fit and resonate. So in that sense, uh, brainwashing became the uh, the the, the one-off term to just describe. It's so I'm funny. 
It's I'm it's controllable. So I'm controllable because my brain was washed. No, it was shit upon. It was filled with shit by some leader who uh, did the same uh, a beautiful thing as our protectors do. It has manipulative ways uh, to find the almost all cult leaders are wound feeders. They sense out the woundings and followers and manipulate and, 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 and move them the way their will wants them to. So their brain is like, like the grandfather clock on the wall with 10 other clocks. The strongest mm. uh, uh, clock on the wall is going to entrain all the smaller clocks to mm -hmm. say the same time, uh, do mm -hmm. the same time. Same principle here. The, the cult leader, the cultic group leader, will entrain the wills of uh, and wrap them all in and, and, and make them his own. He owns them. Well, you know, what, what's interesting about that is like you don't have to be uh, a person doesn't have to be a leader to be able to intuitively sense people's uh, weak spots. Uh -huh. um, you know, I think of like uh, teenagers, how good they yeah. are when they're, you know, if they want to push your buttons, they just know yeah. where they are. And occasionally sure. if, I, uh, if I have a client who lashes out at me, I'm, I'm always struck like, wow, they just they knew right where to hit me in order to piss me yeah. off. And I you know, yeah. of course, I don't. I generally am successful at not expressing that, but that seems yeah. to be just an aspect of, of human uh, condition nature. We, we well, know where weak spots are. Well, yes, that's absolutely true. But then our relationship to that gift or that natural yeah. innate capacity is what users le leaders use. Yeah. Users lead. <laughs> leaders <laughs> leaders use. That too. Leaders but what I'm saying use. is it's not unique to quote unquote cult leaders no. to exploit no. that. People do that every day, People, you, consciously or not. We know where people's insecurities are, even if we couldn't explain it. Because if you watch human behavior enough, you'll see humans dig at people in very precise ways, even if they couldn't articulate, you know, like name the top 10 weaknesses in this person, they might not be able to do that. But in behavior, you can see something in them does know it because that's sure. where they, they know where the wounds are to poke, exactly probably because they have right. them themselves. If this innate quality or if this quality wasn't innate, we'd have no such thing as a career path of a sales agent. <laughs> uh, right. And so or a presidential candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Not the presidential once they get there, maybe, but uh, mm -hmm. well, in in uh, the orange man's case, it was identical all the way through. Yeah. It's like saying same thing, same principle here is how could no one have seen the orange man as the dupl duplicitous, narcissistic, racist and misogynist person he was and all. All of a sudden, eight years later, now some MAGA people, evangelicals, the scales are falling from their eyes that was obvious to us right from the first time he got on a stage yeah. and or or took, did that um, that ridiculous video where if you're famous, you you can you you can grab their pussies. Uh, which that was three is, weeks uh, before the election, right? Uh, and, and he still got elected. And, and, and the justification was, well, guys, that's just locker room talk that all guys do. Yeah, when no, they're 17. Not, not all guys do that. Uh, so at any rate, it's the same principle here. Yeah. Uh, someone who had a cogent, more resonant, uh, internally, moto spiritually resonative healing state of in their being that they our goal in identity is to reverse those percentages and become two thirds healed and one third always looking out. There's no such thing as 100 percent healed. 
especially when you're this is the first time we have a paradigm that sees through to the premises to create the dharma to address these things that are mostly invisible to everyone mm-hmm. um, that it, it all we can do is is two-thirds heal we can't even 100 percent heal i have a story i want to tell that will um get us uh deeper into codependence um when i went to college my um mother i went to college in chicago so i was far from home not getting into Brown was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it would have been just 45 <laughs> minutes from where I grew up in Massachusetts. So uh, life helped me get out of the East Coast. And when I uh, moved away, my, my mother um, had serious appetite problems. She had this kind of low-grade nausea all the time, and she couldn't eat much and went to doctors and nobody could tell her anything about what it was. And after several years, I think it eventually sort of righted itself somewhat, but it was never really the same, I don't think. And then in my late 20s, early 30s, I remember her telling me that she had a dream where she was like, she was somewhere like in a mall or something, and everybody was bringing her different kinds of food, and um, including um, uh, her husband, my, my father, my social father. Everybody's bringing her food, and she didn't want it, none, none of that food. And then I brought her something in the dream, and that was exactly what she wanted, and none of the other food would do. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, do I get that, Joseph? And she told me this, told me this. Oh. And oh, it did oh not occur God. to her at all what the dream meant. And like she was holding it like because it was this lovely thing, like that it said something about how much she loved me or how special I was for her. Not that oh, I was the only food she wanted to eat. <laughs> exactly right. It's uh it's it's just again, there's another thing like the reality show about parenting styles. It just drives me crazy. They they're proud, they call it healthy love when it's cannibalism yeah. my mother did the same with me and and that's all she could do we're not blaming joseph's mother or my mother but we're holding them responsible for the the sequela of what they did to their sons uh, you can forgive i've forgiven my mother emotively and, and energetically she couldn't have done any better but only after i had to process all my rage mm. against her mm. you can't just go slide over the rage and then um, go to acceptance and i think you're being get a little halo from your local mm. um uh, psychologist or um, priest whatever mm. so the idea here is is that um uh the kinds of damages the parenting that that emotively immature parenting does is off the radar screen of virtually all parenting experts in the world and there's only one line if the identity ever wrote a parenting manual um it would only have be one sentence and that is become emotively mature before you ever have children because if you don't go into the closet of your own conscious and unpack all the dark stuff that's hidden in there and bring it out to the light of day which for most people takes a couple of bunch of years to do over a long-term arc with breaks in between and all that. Um, unless you do that, you are going to pass down the uh, the, the the virus to every, each generation uh, uh, to unfold out of the present generation. We'll all be infected with the same virus of self-unworth, of, of uh, an inauthentic version of selfhood. So in that sense, um, Anything we call a, a, to, to tie this up together here is uh, um, what there's no there's the codependence is not homogeneous. There's two basic versions, as Joseph said here, you said a little while ago, mm-hmm. there's locked in version codependence, which uh, Rainier's cults, uh, uh, cultic groups, uh, they're all locked in. But 
they're not technically locked in. They take advantage of people's non-courage to leave when they read out that this is uh, abusive. They can't read out the abuse uh, because the, the abuse is sold as a gift, uh, sold as a gift to the followers. Locked in codependence defines 98% of long-term monogamy. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, along comes polyamory uh, and thinking it's uh, just a nice, fresh, new label, <laughs> as if this is something new for the human condition. Uh, uh, polyamory uh, likes to be smugly superior to uh, monogamy because it's clear to see how uh, codependent long-term relationships tend to be, not in totality, but a large contributional degree. <laughs> but we would say, of course, um, uh, uh, polyamory is a version of locked out codependency, exactly equal to the very smug uh, judgment they make of long-term monogamy. Um, that in fact, that because we're all by default emotively um, bereft of healthy centers, all of our intimate relationships, whether they're polyamorous or single, are going to be rife with codependence. Uh, like polyamory is just an insurance policy. Um, it's really <laughs> scary. It's really scary to uh, clear out your heart field and learn what vulnerability really means. Um, so they um, they they collectivize uh, the benefit and privatize the risk. Uh, privatize no. the benefit and collectivize yeah. the risk. Yeah. That's all polyamory is: is people who are terrified of the clo of closeness, um, and so they use a beautifully ridiculous brain kind of uh, symbolic uh, reasoning to cover the obviousness of that. And locked in codependence generally is uh, over gripping and there are different yes. forms of that and locked out is uh, over distancing. Correct. Exactly right. Um, but either way, um, there's something that links the two and at the deeper level. And that is while we possess deep and unavoidable congestions in our heart field, we are only going to be able be capable of energetically to energetically associate with people or intimate partners, not vulnerably amalgamate. In other words, energetically associate versus vulnerably amalgamate. And I use that term amalgamate really uh, in its clearest definition because one plus one always equals three, whether that three is toxic or not. Mm. in uh, intimate bonds, as we'll get into when we get into intimate bonds more. But uh, uh, our wounds keep us energetically um, uh, uh, only uh, be able to associate with each other side by side, as opposed to turn in and intermesh in healthy ways, not codependent ways. There is a way to do monogamy that's non-codependent, but there isn't a way to do polyamory non-codependently, which is really interesting mm. because by the time you emotively mature your heart field, not because it's immoral or or uh, non-societally acceptable or whatever to do polyamory, you're just not drawn to it authentically. You're drawn to one-on-one -on -one because that beneath all the horseshit and, and symbolic uh, brain type um, cognitive mapping of reality, underneath all of that, there is an innate sharing between yang and yin, which nominally responds to male and female, which we will get to LGBTQIA+, I promise. Um, but there is a basis for that that um, al allows us to want to choose whether it's same gender or, or opposite gender. Um, 
the 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 call to uh, monogamous one-on-one committed relationship is the only game in town for emotively mature people. The world has not ever known what non-codependent monogamy is. It's never known it because we've never had a dharma to heal the two partners before they ever engage horizontally. And you have to vertically heal before you could do that horizontally. Whereas polyamory, it's never could be, it would never be chosen by an emotively mature person, in my opinion. Now, could that could that possibly change in a larger, if 300 years from now, and if identity uh, uh, was uh, being uh, inhabited by more than a quarter of the population, could there be more mature ver, uh, uh, versions of a three-cornered or a four-cornered marriage? I can't say. Um, I, I, I grant its possibility. I can't feel it, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. But at the moment, no one is qualified to be healthily polyamorous because it's just an insurance policy against getting too close, as, as, as Joseph mm. just said also. You want to go into the other forms of uh, locked out? The uh, Go ahead. Why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I got to uh, take a drink of water here. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, one of my uh, favorites, because I used to do it, is the, the friend-lover conversion. When, oh, mm-hmm. when you start to feel, or like siblings, when your uh, romantic partner starts to feel like a sibling or a friend more than a lover is a way yes. of splitting two and four. Um, and the very controversial, I believe we talked about this before, but of course it's extremely controversial to say that um, uh, uh, one's sexual orientation could be changed as a result of uh, a childhood wounding so that someone, for yes. example, uh, would be um, uh, behave as if they're gay or straight when actually they're not um, yes. as a way of avoiding uh, intimacy. That's a possibility as well. Yeah, that's really controversial these days with all the Christian-based conversion uh, therapies that are still out there. Yeah, and what I say to people, and when I the the idea that someone could be uh, could could think they're gay and have it be a wound-based homosexuality, for example, and they say, well, you know, they get all offended about that, and I say, well, is it possible for someone to be pretending that they're straight when they're actually gay? And of course, any so, gay person would be like, well, yeah, that's what's been going on for a really long time. So why couldn't it go the other way? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Look, identity goes uh, takes that same thing you just said and has it has a little little different uh, way of explaining. But it completely agrees. It resonates with that. If it's if it could go one way of pretending, it could go the other way. It's just the pretending is un- unconscious to mm-hmm. us. We're all wounded, and so all I would ever say to a, a non cisgender uh, couplehood um, uh, in that way, not, uh, I don't want to include same gender because same gender has a lot more defensivity to a lot of the other forms, not defensivity, but more sobriety capacity. Uh, and, and the issue here is that we're all emotively wounded. So if LGBTQIA plus um, uh, uh, folks out there who got to do what they have to do. Identity doesn't try to change them. There's no conversion therapy, despite what Joseph just said. No one's <laughs> trying to do that. If you if you're gay and you emotional you heal your emotional body, it's possible it wouldn't feel to you like you're gay. There's no there's no goal to change your gender orientation and identity, only to heal our default wounded emotional bodies. So. If all, all I when I when I get uh, cornered on this one, this controversy, I say, well, um, you want equality with cisgender uh, conditioning, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Well, then, guess what? 
your non-cisgender relationship is just as codependent and just as rife with the wounding as ours is. Mm -hmm. And that shuts them up right away because they want to go to victimhood of prejudice when our pre our premises has no prejudice whatsoever. Only a starkly obvious fact that we're all by default wounded and we all thus create wounded forms of closeness uh, and monogamy and sexual patterning. That means your gender sense, your sense of gender, not your gender physical, unless you have two sets of genitals, which does happen occasionally, sure. but not very often. Everything we're talking about these days is, is a gender sense. Mm -hmm. And to say that that gender sense is immune to wounding is to talk nonsense. Of course it's possible. Are we trying to get you to change to be a cisgender? Absolutely not. Stick with whatever you're doing till it dead ends for you. No, we're trying um, to tear apart all aspects of your self-image so you don't need one anymore and you're just being who you are. So you like, really to, are. So I would say there's to someone who would balk at that, I would say, if you think that uh, your self-image as uh, homosexual or heterosexual or whatever, that that's your bigger, bigger issue, you can have 99 other self-images that you're going to lose in the process of EPE. <laughs> that's the least of your problems. <laughs> exactly right. So have at it. Uh, divine being doesn't really care where we put our genitals. Really, it doesn't. It only is concerned with why we do it. Uh, not not where we put them, but why we put them there. I think divine being draws a line with uh, uh, with um, uh, uh, cross species uh, sexuality. Uh, that one it can't really make make any sense of um, when we like uh, animals better than our own species or or animatronic dolls, uh, which are going to that's become locked out codependence too. Yeah, totally. There is the there is the absolute quintessence of locked out uh, is with a doll, um, and they are so realistic these days. I've come across uh, once in a while something will cross and I'll click on it, and there'll be these examples of these um, women, almost always women, but there's a lot of do male dolls out there now too. That's the classic uh, split of two and four. And what we're going to see a lot of, uh, and I think in our future is AI. Have you played around with Chat GPT at all? No, not yet. Oh, I, I, mean, I don't. I don't have a Google account, so I can't. I can't. You don't do need it. to. Uh, you can create a, your own login, I think. For I don't think you need a Google account. But I, I was, um, try, I was uh, trying to get Chat Chat GPT to be a therapist for me a few nights ago. Uh huh. And I would say. It probably was in like the uh, 80th percentile of like a decent therapist. Like I, get, I I taught it to do a few things. I like told it what I needed it to do. Like oh. I need you to be supportive and listen and ask me questions about the and it did it. Like it it did <laughs> like so what good. a 80th percentile uh -huh. LCSW could do. And uh -huh. it, you you could see like it it mostly did a, it was like, you know, texting with someone who had like some vague kind of social worker skills and like uh -huh. that in 10 or 20 years of development. I mean, yeah. I I tried to get I tried to teach it some stuff. I, I actually asked it like if I teach you a model for blah 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 blah, like can you use that with me? And it was like, no, I have to get like huge amounts of text. But it was able to tell me that it like yeah. there are limits. <laughs> it could it could take requests, but it wouldn't yeah. be trained by me. Um, yes, I see. but like I it would only be trained only be trained by the the uh, amalgamation of all the data that it was getting, yeah. Exactly, mm -hmm. but if the thing would actually listen to just me, I could turn that yeah. thing into a better therapist than 90% of people <laughs> yes. in a weekend. 
why I'm laughing because I don't know how to access crying over that fact. Uh, <laughs> well, remember that movie? Uh, but there was are the there are utilities for such a thing, not just an interpersonal. I, the interpersonal domain just seems to me. What kind of locked out codependence do we have if you're being therapized by a machine? You know. Well, what can I say? It was a weak moment. I was I was both lonely and curious. So I decided. <laughs> no, I love what you. I love that you did that. That's it was great. fascinating. And remember, um, what was that uh, Scarlett Johansson? Was it Will Ferrell? The he's the girlfriend. Her was it called? Her. Her. Yeah. yeah. Oh no! It was uh, uh, Phoenix. Um, what's his name? Phoenix. Oh yeah, Joaquin the, Phoenix. Joaquin. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not Will Ferrell. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, it was like, oh, I see, like, this could really happen. Like, yes, it, it's well sure. on its way. I mean, it was yeah. asking good questions. It was giving me good reflections. It was like reflecting mm -hmm. things back to me and changing the words a little bit. So it sounded more personal. I was impressed. So if like, yeah, we're going to see locked out codependence with AI in, in, in my lifetime, for sure. You you bet. Yeah. And you can program in, as Scarlett did in that movie, uh, breathiness. And exactly hook into male fantasies and uh, patriarchal uh, uh, reactivities, uh, and just take advantage of whatever personality type. Here could be your AI companion for this personality type. Here's the one for that personality yeah. type. There's a, a podcast, uh, Will Sasso and Chad, somebody, uh, a podcast called Dudesy um, that is produced by AI. So the AI has uh, access to their email, their text history, um, like all of the work they've ever produced as performers. It's been fed all of that. And so it like guides the show. It makes suggestions. It knows what kinds of kinds of impressions Will Sasso can do, writes copy for him to read during it. And it does a decent job and it's wow. improving. Oh, that's the whole point of it. The yeah. more it does, the more it will yeah. hone in on the least fat fatty version of if i can use that metaphor without yeah. offending someone so um, I, I think that um ai is going to be the final straw for the destruction uh, or the the successful dead ending of unhealthy relationality i think that's what's going to do it it's going to wow. drive us into the ground i never thought of that it would have to wouldn't it um by trying to replace it it will show that the whole motive to create it would be wound-based yeah, I mean, so, I was thinking of like virtual reality with like the Ready, Ready Player One kind of dystopian oh, thing. But I think yeah. the direct re attempted relationality with robots is going to probably dead end it faster. Um, it yeah. depends on how good the tech can be with like, uh, you know, 3D well, uh, haptic sensors and whatnot. But both will well, do it. Yeah, they, because if they can create the AI um, uh, uh, just mm -hmm. in a mainframe somewhere, they can adapt it to a robot um, with all those the silicone uh, coating it and all that. Oh, yeah. and, and absolutely, like you say, with using haptics, they can they will be able to create a robot that is reactive to you. you they'll program in your whatever profile and then program the robot exactly for what you want, uh, consciously and semi-consciously. Yeah, and you can feed it all every every email and all of your text history that you've had with all of your exes so it knows what you like and don't like and it will all be driven by the dollars of the multi-billion dollar porn industry yeah exactly right and they got a lot of money well that's for sure so yeah. that's the dead end of relationality i see i'm uh, not looking forward to seeing what it does to our society yeah 
Well, this is uh, just so far, even though um, it's a little shorter than our normal uh, normal ones, uh, to me, there's a natural um, kind of completion here because the next thing I want to go into is the more subtle uh, architecture of um, relational space that maps um, the uh, the two players in all relationality, the I pole and the other pole, and how we've been conditioned to start with the other pole by altruism uh, because the eye pole has always been considered in relational space in, in this basic two uh, double two two people two two dynamic two people uh, and the dynamics between them. If you start with an eye pole, you're narcissistic. But if you start with the other pole's needs and wants, um, you're altruistic, and altruistic trumps uh, some narcissism every time. And for that, we'll revisit how altruism is just as narcissistic as a narcissism. Narcissism is just one steps cleaner, that's all. So I want to go into mm -hmm. the uh, Martin Buber's kind of thing with the I, thou, another whole level, and cool. how we um, where, where map relational space in terms of I pole and other pole, or I pole, self pole, and other pole, and, and all the capacities where responsiveness and responsibility uh, key in there. And uh, at the moment, I, I don't think I have the energy to do that. Another whole set of topics. Yeah, so, yeah I think this is so, funny. Yeah. it feel okay for you yeah, today? Yeah, that sounds great. I love that we pulled in cultic and the family cult too. And mm. we wound up uh, talking about a non-cisgender um, uh, woundings and uh, completely politically incorrect uh, identity is proud to be. We're, but we're not saying uh, we're, we're woke uh, I would say <laughs> we're saying we're more awakened. Uh, woke is uh, tends to be applied uh, to progressives uh, who are who go who their own woundings makes them too caring for not offending anyone. Um, and so when a lot of the red states um, um, uh, red state people um, complain about the wokeness of the blue states. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, they have something. There's something to it, but not not nearly to the degree they yeah. think equalizes things. Well, my favorite part about that whole cultural phenomenon is that it's uh, woke. What is that? Past participle or something? It's done. It's a noun. Yeah. So there's yeah. they're done. I would right. never describe myself as done with anything in any way. I'm waking. Right. But, waking. Sure. But mm -hmm. the whole uh, the idea of woke is that like yeah, I've completed something. I'm better than you. And right. you should be where I am now. That's exactly, absurd. it's all implied, yeah. and that's just as much of a, a, a symbolic uh, uh, language term as yeah. brainwashing is. Yeah, uh, well, and and because they fit into you know memes, uh, and yeah. believe me, we had cultural memes before wherever we had we ever uh, had internet memes. <laughs> uh, so uh, memes is not a new thing that uh, generations uh, later than boomers invented. Um, but they have they did coin the term so woke yeah woke unwoke all those things are just they're 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 equally wounded on both sides there isn't one side that's less than the other all i could say about blue staters or we'll just say uncle joe let's talk about uncle joe just for a moment uncle joe may not be the brightest bulb in the room um he may may have uh, eroding mental acuity but bloody hell, at least his heart is in the right place. He doesn't know how to translate it into public policy very well, but at least, at least he has that. There's some caring um, part of him that wants to make the world better. Same thing with Bernie. If mm -hmm. only Bernie, if I'd been, if I'd known Bernie back in the in the in 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s, just 
go to the hairstylist. <laughs> you get, calm down your crazy Einsteinian hair because right. his hair, uh, com- his hairstyle completely undermined his message. It's crazy <laughs> Bernie because look at uh, Arnold or uh, uh, Einstein's famous picture with his tongue hanging out and his hair going out in, in global proportions every direction. Uh, um, he, Bernie had that and it undermined his credibility. Uh, a simple thing like a haircut. He not not like he would have gotten much further, but he would have gotten a little further with his um, uh, non-socialistic socialism, which people don't understand in this country. They're so completely uneducated yeah. difference between socialism and democratic socialism or difference uh, between socialism socialism and communism which is not oh my god yeah a uh, blue uh, red staters if it's socialism it's communism yeah and, and then so, they think bread lines that's where they yes. go to <laughs> oh my god the the cq like i send it this way uh, in terms of um, a consciousness quotient there is no domain of human relation of, of human um, uh, uh, activity other than uh, that has a lower CQ than our CQ and relationality, and that's in every single domain: political, economic, personal, um, uh, religious, spiritual. All relational space is infected by the individuals who comprise and enter that relational space. So we have a a, a world that's very troubled. And 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 cue the twelve-hour news cycle, or is it down to eight hours now? Um, yeah. I don't know. It used to be twenty-four hours when I was younger. Um, but w- what we've got is a, a a troubled world. And if all the teachings of the ages, the dark age, all the religionism from the dark ages, added now to the empirical dim age um, that that should that ended in twenty twelve, but they don't know it yet. Um, uh, that if that if those things that have had literally six to 10,000 years, depending on how you measure it, of input into how to how to be a human being or what does it what does it mean to be a human being? If they were going to work, they would have worked by now. Yeah. If they haven't worked, why? Why isn't anyone asking that meta existential question? And to me, it's so slam dunk. Uh, Identity steps in and says, we here's our explanation of why. But that the domain that that why applies to is off the radar screen. Well, we just got to keep doing it better. Well, the church it gets some bad apples. Oh, oh well, you know it's got uh, uh, sinners. We're all sinners. You know what the hell? If the if uh, net net the prosecution rests the well, troubled roiling boiling world. It's not working. Yeah, unfortunately, the answer is because it hasn't failed miserably yet enough. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. like why hasn't a society changed? Is the same the same answer as why an individual doesn't change? Yeah, they're not in enough pain yet because yes. if they're in enough pain and it fails miserably enough, people change that they, they have to hit bottom most of the time, yeah. not always. And o- over the years, Joseph, you know, um, I get passionate about this because there's so much sorrow in it uh, that I hold uh, first. Uh, and and that is that they, people will ask me who get tuned into our what we're talking about here that's not based in judgment but sorrow um, is that well will this necessitate a return to the stone age to start over again mm-hmm. whether that's internet going out and open open civil war nuclear annihilation will that is will that be what it takes and I have the same answer all the time this is maybe a good place to close is. My own um, uh, abidance with divinity 
tells me that it would, it's not stupid and it wouldn't want to start over. We race the blackboard and start over in anything that would literally turn us back to a stone age, whether that stone age was physical, emotional, intellectual, technological, whatever. It's somehow the collapse, like you just said, uh, we haven't failed miserably enough to break the spine of our compensatory world. Yeah. What will that look like? And when people ask me and I say, it won't be a return to a stone age. And I can't quite, I can't quite get the form or expression it will take, but that it, but that it is inevitable as gravity. Um, mm. It has to, because the premises is like of our world, our is based on an upside down pyramid where it's teetering all the weight is at the top and it always rests on single assumptions about the nature of human consciousness that can't support all the weight we've invested into it because it's not been defined yet. What about a, a depopulation yeah. crisis that's happening yeah. already in Japan, right? There are not enough people. Yeah. And if, if the crisis of relationality continues, that's how I see it as like a slow moving crisis. If yeah. people can't relate with each other, don't want to produce children anymore, children become, you know, more and more unmanageable because they mm -hmm. can't repress their feelings, which has been going on for 20 years anyway. Yeah, since the 60s, actually. Yeah, yeah. sure. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, if there's not enough people that would that creates an economic crisis and then people would be like, man, we got to figure out how to get people to get along again. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. It's a, a slow crisis, just like you say. It's, a, it's like lava oozing. Um, if there's got enough lava behind the leading edge, or the trailing edge pushing the leading edge, then it's going to envelop everything, everything mm -hmm. in, in a gradual um, uh, situation like that. So identity is um, steps in and says, um, here are the seeds for when it all goes down uh, and we fail enough to go, if all the other paradigms, technological, economic, emotional, psychological, philosophical, religious, they haven't resulted in a, a peaceful, serene world by majority. Nothing's ever going to be 100%. But if it were reversed, if we had more love-based uh, will to love as opposed to will to power and greed, which is all comes from our wounds and our childhood compensating, we would have a very different world. And that's the world identity sees, not as a utopia, not as a castle in the sky that we dream so much we want to live in it, but as an actual, livable, groundable, rubber meets the road, Joseph kind of world. <laughs> God. Oh, God save us all if it's uh, it's anywhere <laughs> anywhere near in my hands. But that's what I see. I, I see a slow-moving crisis in relationality. I, uh, most of the couples that I know of are having increasing difficulty. Um, and uh, the most conscious people that I know are not interested in having kids. So yes. if that increases, that creates yeah. economic problems. There's um, not enough people to produce the goods and services for the people that exist. Sure. And um the a decrease is the gdp that would get a government's um uh, creates labor shortages which we have now less people in the workforce that's my prediction is that it's a and it's the time of relationality right so all yes. of the non-relationality is coming up in interfaces and if um uh, it's been such that people can still make babies even though they're non-relational well what if they yeah. couldn't 
What yes. if they couldn't make babies anymore unless they were actually relational for whatever yes. way, shape, and form? That link between physiology and emotionology yeah. to me is my is my what's the what's the word is my golden arc or um, well that was necessary for the survival of the species it, that split it was it was so what now, would be necessary for the thrival of the species is yes. nope you can't split those anymore. Yes. And now, here I'm just making shit up, and now <laughs> a split between two and four makes you sterile. Yes. <laughs> Even if you try to have kids, it doesn't work anymore. That would be a clever move on life's part. Well, you know, this is really interesting because the the woke um, side of the coin um, wants, of course, to, I just read something today, they want to replace mother and father. Oh, no. With sper sperm donor no. and egg donor. Oh, and they want to literally obliterate that um, so that a little kid, a seven-year-old, hey, sperm donor, I can't get uh, 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 the egg donor to allow me to go to my friend's house. Can you tell oh, the egg Jesus. donor, please, that you, the sperm donor, says I can go? Well, speaking as someone who was donor conceived and oh. lied about it until I was 48 years old, uh, I protest against that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm offended by that. <laughs> Because you can't, because father and sperm donor would have to be disambiguated for me personally, because I had one of each, and they were different people. So oh, fuck you, are... whoever wants that. Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and when I showed this to Bree this morning, she, she didn't get rise up out of the sofa, but energetically she did. Oh, so an egg donor can't be abstracted as a woman anymore and a sperm donor can't be abstracted as a male anymore we can't use those terms anymore because they're sexist or they're they're misogynistically applied to offend some lgbtqia plus person uh, god if they were secure about their non-cisgender um, uh, orientations they wouldn't care what we called them Mm. Someone who's secure doesn't care what the labels are. Only insecure people. Now they have a right to be insecure in a biased uh, society in some ways. But my God, uh, all of these topics that we're sort of riffing on at the moment—they're uh, all in inside the relational space, human relationality. So they all apply to our topic here. But you can see how effortlessly we can move from one domain into the hundreds, if not thousands, of domains of human relationality. So identity steps in and says, nothing has worked until now to create a, 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 a majority, peaceful, love-based, serene world. So let's figure out why. And here's one that might, because it's based on an entirely different premise than anything that has ever come before in defining the primary, primary nature of human consciousness. So, yes. Okay. Well, thanks, Ace. <laughs> a rich and relational... Uh, episode on relationality uh join us next time we'll go into the uh, uh i thou stuff altruism versus narcissism a mm -hmm. cage match to see uh <laughs> where both are defeated and and other witty things i'm tired and hungry now i gotta go thanks um, for listening everyone until next time okay bye 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 thanks for listening to the heart of soul podcast to learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.